Well, hello, everyone. My name is Todd, and I'm so excited that you join us. And I want to welcome in everybody who's listening in on this conversation, whether you're at East, Prison, West, or even online. Hear me. I think this sermon is incredible. I'm excited to give it. And let's just be honest. I think this whole series has been good. I know for me, it's been speaking to me just because I've had moments where I've struggled with joy in my life. And there's been a verse that God kind of pointed me to as just as a reminder, like, hey, I said this. And so I wanted to share it with you. Look at this verse. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. That first part, always be joyful. It's part of me that has a love-hate relationship with that verse. Okay? Because if you've been married, you know that sometimes the words always and never are very dangerous to throw out there. And so I look at that and I go, God, I agree with you. It would be awesome to always have joy. But it seems kind of impossible, doesn't it? There's just moments where life comes up and you're just like, I don't know if I can have joy. That's why I love this series. Because I think it's easy to have joy when life is good. It's hard to have joy when you're lonely, when you're suffering, when you're kind of going through something that's pretty humbling, or in the midst of a trial. And that's what we've been talking about so far. And I've got another one to add to a list. But if we can learn to have joy in all those moments, that's where God's going. That's what it means to always be joyful. And so that's the power of it. So today, to kind of help us go, okay, what are we, what are we going after today? I want to share a story with you. Because recently, I had a conversation with a student, um, and it was a former student, because I was a student pastor for a long time here at Fountain Springs. And so this student had graduated and moved on, and, and he called me just out of the blue. And I was like, hey, man, what's going on? And he explained, he's like, hey, you know, life has just been crazy. You know, after I graduated, I made some really poor decisions, got stuck in the spot, and I was just not liking where I was at at all. So I moved out and started getting, doing some good things. He found a job. He was getting to some healthy spots. But the reason he was calling me today is because he was like, my girlfriend just told me that we may need to take a break. And part of me was like, okay, that happens. But, of course, for him, it was devastating. And all of us have been there at some point. We feel this Maybe I failed as a boyfriend, or maybe, uh, man, I, I, I'm, it's a rejection kind of feeling. And so I, I listened, and I processed with him. I was like, hey, man, I encourage you. It will be okay. You'll make it through this. But as I was going through it, I could sense there was something deeper. It was more than just the breakup. And as I pried a little bit more, it was what he thought about himself. And I've actually realized this a lot in conversations with people. Like, when you have a moment where you feel inadequate. Let's just be honest, like whether you failed at something or maybe you got rejected, you just feel inadequate, it can trigger this deeper wound that I think starts to connect to our value. Because that's what I want to talk about is feeling inadequate today, inadequacy. So to make sure we're all on the same page, here's the definition of it. It's the fear of not being enough. And this is dangerous to function into where it's like, okay, I've got to do something that makes my life worth something. I've got to accomplish something. And then when we feel inadequate, our world falls apart. And that's why as I was talking to this former student, I could sense it. It was like this little breakup triggered all this. All of the, oh, I feel so inadequate. And, and if I'm not doing something well, then what is my life worth? We start 
doing that. And the truth is, we can't avoid inadequacy. Can't avoid it. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter what job you have, it will find its way into your life. Because I guarantee you there will be somebody who is smarter, who is stronger, and who can do it faster. And you'll realize, maybe I'm not the best at this. And when that happens, we either kind of go down two roads. Where we learn to let inadequacy happen, we can't avoid it, and we allow it to shape us, or we go down and it starts to define us. And that is where it becomes dangerous. Because when we start to let it define us, we live a life that's based on, okay, do people find me adequate or do people find me inadequate? Because if they find me inadequate, I can't keep doing this. I, I, I've got to solve this. And anxiety just starts to creep up. I don't know if you, because I've had this, just sleepless nights. Some anxiety just about feeling inadequate. And so the question becomes, how do you find joy in the midst of that? How do you make sure that it's like, okay, God, I don't want that to define me. I know I can't avoid it, but how do I make sure it doesn't define my life? And so to me, that's the beautiful part about Scripture is that the Bible talks about this. And specifically, it talks about it in the book of Philippians. Because Paul is writing at this point. He was the one that wrote the letter, wrote to the church in Philippi, because they were dealing with this. Because here's what's going on. He is writing. He is the one that started this church, began this church, and then he was taken to prison. So he couldn't be there anymore. But then every time he would go plant a church, there would be this group who would come right behind him. And so just to give you these two groups, you got Paul who's telling people, you need to follow Jesus. You need to know who he is. He's incredible. But then you've got this group that he used to be a part of. Kind of know as the Pharisees. Kind of, they were pushing Judaism, and they're going, don't believe what he says. If you want to know who God is, you've got to follow the law. You've got to follow the rules. So Paul's pushing this. Hey, no, it's about a relationship. It's about faith. It's about believing. But then these guys would come in and go, no, no, no. It's about the law. It's about the rules. If you want God to find you adequate, if you want God to believe in you, you've got to do this, 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 and this. And the biggest thing that they were arguing about was circumcision, which that would create an uproar among everybody. Let's just be honest. And so they're designing, like, if you get circumcised, that is what makes you adequate. That makes you worthy to God. I know we don't get it. But at that time, that was a big deal to them. And Paul's over going here, like, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. So I want to share with you kind of what he says, because he gives some strong wisdom. Now, when he wrote this letter, he pictured this. He's writing it to where it would be read to the church. So imagine just listening to this. The church is there. You've got these dynamics going on. Some people feeling inadequate. Some people confused. And so he's trying to create some clarity. Here's what he says. Watch out for those dogs. <laughs> Strong language, all right? Those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. If we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul starts it off strong and saying, don't listen to these guys. Because if you want to know what following Jesus is all about, it's about a relationship, it's about faith, 
It's not about following the law. And so that's where he kind of begins. He's like, you guys need to understand this. But then this next part, because especially towards the end here, he starts going, okay, if we're going to talk about the law, and he goes into these next couple of scriptures, kind of in a conversation like you would have with a parent and a teenager. Now, some of you have been the teenager. Some of you have been the parent in this conversation. To give you an example, here's what the teenager would ask for. Mom, dad, I think I deserve a new car. And the parents look like, okay, new car? Like, yeah, and, and they got a whole list of, like, this is the car I want, and it is beautiful. It is the best. I think I deserve it. And I think you should pay for it. And, and the parent goes, oh, I don't know if that's the best. And then the teenager looks back and is like, but you get to have new cars. And it's at that moment the parent kind of steps into this, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, who do you think pays for those cars? You. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, who do you think works long hours and does all this to afford those cars? You. Right, right, right. And, you know, food on the table, you've got a house to, like, you think you just deserve this new car. Yes. You see where the breakdown begins to happen here, Right? And eventually the teenager may come to see it, or he may not. I don't know. But Paul begins to go, okay, let's play this game a little bit. You want to talk about it's defined by the law. That what you do, the rules you follow, that's what makes you adequate. He goes, well, let me tell you, I would be the one that would be top of the list for God on that. And he's not bragging about himself. He's just sharing. He's like, you guys know this. You know my story. So look at these next verses in that context where he's trying to show them. He's like, here is, if this was playing out, I would be at the top of the list because I've followed the laws. I've had great circumstances. I've accomplished a lot. So look at this. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, some of this we don't understand, but to the church, they would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, that's true. Because some of these things would have put him like circumstances. He was born into a great family, great Jewish tradition, everything in that. And people would have been like, oh, yeah, that's right. Those things matter in our culture. And then tribe of Benjamin. To us, we're like, that's great, whatever. To them, they would have, oh, yeah, that tribe's got some history. That tribe is well known. And then he goes into his accomplishments. He starts off with, here are my circumstances. Here's what I was born into. Here's what I, I didn't even control it, but I've been a part of it. And it's been awesome. But then you've got the actual accomplishments. He became a Pharisee. Now, to us, we're like, well, that's bad. Well, to the Jewish culture, that was one of the top jobs you could get. To be the religious leader, everybody looked up to you. Everybody saw you as the authority on this. You were supposed to follow the law to the T. You were supposed to be perfect on this. And then he goes on to say, I did that. Based on this, if we were defining who is adequate based on rules and laws, I would be number one. And that was his point. He's like, do you see? I would have been at the top of this. 
but I'm teaching you something completely different. Because I know where this lands. I know where this goes. And it's not great. Because he knew this. See, our accomplishments and our circumstances are only temporary. We could accomplish the most greatest things ever. Yes, and they may write them down, and it would be amazing records. But you know what happens to records? They're meant to be broken. Someone's going to come along and maybe take it that much farther. Or talk about your circumstances. And when I refer to your circumstances, I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we're I mean, I, can feel, like, I was born into a family that was Christian, and I had great parents. Not all of you had that. Some of us have got businesses lined up based on what our family does. But you see, we all have different circumstances, but once again, those can be temporary. Those can be taken away from you at any time. You can't. You don't have any control over these things. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, I've had these. I had the accomplishments. I had these circumstances. And let me tell you, they don't define your value. It's so much more than that. And if you're not careful, there's going to be a time where these things fall apart and you're going to feel very inadequate. But if you can connect them to your worth, that is where life can just suck the joy out of you. And so here's what I also know. Is when we start to feel very inadequate, here's what we tend to do. We start trying to do things and make things happen to prove to ourselves and to prove to others and to prove to God, I can do this myself. I have to. I have to prove that I'm adequate. I have to prove that I, can, I mean something in this. I know I've been there. And the funny thing is, I've actually seen my kids there. Even now, like, they're six, four, and two. Emma is six, Corbin is four, Avery is two, and we got one on the way, which I'm really excited about. Another girl to add to the family. So there you go. So I remember recently our four-year-old, Corbin, was in this mode because all kids do this. They're like, Daddy, I could do it myself. Whether it's tying their shoes, dressing themselves, or feeding themselves. Even today, they're like, we're making lunch. I was like, good luck. See what happens. And so they were picking out stuff that was pretty easy. They're like, uh, yogurt, yeah, you can do that one. That's good. All right, got it. But there is one that just made me laugh a lot because there is a day where Corbin was going, I can dress myself, Daddy. I can do it. And just yelling at me, screaming at me because I was like, man, I think you need some help because if you've seen my son, he usually has something on backwards, whether it's shoes, pants, shirt, something. So... This day, he's like, I don't want any help. I'm doing it all by myself. I said, fine, you do it. I want to show you what he decided to put on. <laughs> Very proud of this moment, as you can tell. Wanted to pose. I also want to point out, these are three T-shirts that he decided to put on. He does not have underwear. He does not have pants. Doesn't have socks or shoes. He decided, that's what I want to wear today. And somehow, he put his shirt on like that. I have no idea a shirt can fit like that. But he figured out a way. And I want you to know, he walked around pretty proud about it. He's like, look at me. I'm doing a pretty good job at this. And I went, not your best. Eventually, he was like, okay, I need some help. Put on underwear, put on pants. We got it figured out. 
But I understand that even as a four-year-old, that feeling of not being able to do it yourself, we hate it, don't we? And now you take it into this conversation to where we go, we're talking about life that we can't control. We can't control how everything's going to go. And there's going to be those days where we feel inadequate. And we're, we're going to be like, God, do you even like me? Are you going to do something about this? And I think God sits back in these moments and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not about your value or worth. Let it, let's let this moment begin to shape you, not define you. And that's the big difference because we've got to understand some things here because we live in a world that's going, we don't understand life. And then on top of that, we've got the whole spiritual world that we understand even less. Truth is, just like a kid needs their parents, we need God. We're dependent on him. There's so many things we don't understand. And reality is, we've got to face it, that makes us inadequate. And that's Okay. I kind of put it this way, um, we can never do enough or be enough to remove our inadequacies. We can't do enough or be enough to remove them. They're not going to go away. They're not going to disappear. But the one thing that we can start doing, instead of letting them define us, we start going, okay, let's let them shape us. Let's not be defined by the rules or the accomplishments or the circumstances or just obeying the law, God goes, I didn't create you just for that. So much deeper than that. And so Paul, at this point, starts changing the tone of the letter and says, okay, so now that we've addressed that these things don't really work, because I can prove it to you, I've, I've done it. Now let's go to the other side of this. Look at this scripture. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I considered them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I love this passage. To where Paul just addresses it, he's going, I've been there. You gotta imagine the moment that he had where he was, going, as a Pharisee, going and attacking some of these Christians and then God getting a hold of his life. Like, this is his story. That's why he's saying it this way. God totally changed his life. He was one of those part of the groups that were fighting against Christianity growing. He was like, no, that's not accurate. And then he goes, whoa, I've had it all wrong. He's dealt with feeling inadequate. And he goes, let me tell you, in those moments, the power of knowing Christ, the power of knowing who he is and what he's done in my life, that is what carried me through it. And so I would say joy is found in learning we are enough to Jesus. If you want to deal with, okay, how do I deal with the inadequacies? How do I make sure that they don't define me, but instead they start to shape me right here? 
Joy is found in learning we are enough to Jesus. Because I can tell you, my story, I, I was... I struggled with that so much in life. I wanted to be good enough to everybody. I wanted to be good enough to God. Even when I started a relationship with him, when I was 12 years old, I was young, I thought I had to do it all right for God to like me. I don't necessarily blame the church on that or anything, but that was just what I figured. Because I was like, well, it seems like people like you when you do the right thing, so God will like me when I do the right thing. So me facing being inadequate at any moment, disappointing anybody, being rejected, you name it, failure, that was catastrophic for me. I can even say my first couple years of marriage, my wife, she would say, hey, Todd, can we do this better or be disappointed? And I would spiral a little bit and somehow turn it on her, all those kind of things. And I looked, you know how I got through that and learning to let go of my inadequacy? Was this going, okay, Jesus, I need to understand that you love me. I'm not defined by living a perfect life or you don't find me worthy just because I did everything right. It's because you made me. That's why you love me. And then you showed it through your actions. Even when I made mistakes, you went to the cross for me. When I learned that and began to accept that, inadequacy starts having such control over me. And that was the power of it. To where I begin to see these things can shape me. I can become a better person in the midst of my inadequacy, but I can still hold on to my joy because I'm defined by who God is in my life and what he thinks of me, not by my inadequacies. But the best part is, is God doesn't stop there. I want you to look at this verse. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now this part, Paul is starting to go, it's like, so not only do we find our love and our worth in Christ, but there's this next piece too, to where he goes, I want to experience the mighty power that Jesus walked with, the love that he walked with, the grace the authority. Paul's going, I want to tap into that. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to experience. And so not only is our joy found in learning who Jesus is, it's this next part. Joy is found when we become independent of the world's control. I think of it this way. Think of that, like, there will be a day where I will have teenagers in my house and they're becoming 18, they're graduating high school and I will send them out and my hope by the end of that time is that they feel ready as best as they can, that I've helped them and developed them and I want them to have this independence, I want them to experience this freedom. That's what I want as a parent, is for my kids to experience that. So take this conversation into what God is doing in us. He goes, I want you to learn what it's like to be independent of the world's control not being defined by what culture or the world tells you, but be independent of it. So to help explain it a little bit more, I, I put this together. Because I think there's kind of two systems that go on in the midst of this. So you think of the world, it's all about what you accomplish, it's all about what you have, and what others think of you. You can see where if this is your system, how you function in life, 
inadequacy can eat you alive. Because if you fail, if it's not the best accomplishment, if it's I don't have everything I need to have, like you, you're constantly living this life that's kind of like either I'm adequate or inadequate. And you could even feel adequate and still not feel loved and still not feel the things that you're like, I thought this was going to do it. This system breaks down. But then you go, if you're independent of this system, and you go into maybe God's system, it's all about Jesus' love for you, Jesus' generosity towards you, Jesus' willingness to serve you. So here's the big flip on this. This system is all about what you can do and what you have. This system is all about what somebody has done for you and what somebody has given you. Because what I've learned in life, if you truly want to love someone, you first got to be able to receive love and feel love from somebody. If you truly want to be able to be generous towards somebody, usually that's because someone's been generous towards you. It's serving, same deal. All these things that we truly want to experience, usually they come from somebody or from God showing us what that truly looks like. And so that's the power of these systems because one will take you down the road that's like, yes, you can feel success, you can feel accomplishment, or maybe your circumstances are great, but at the end of the day, you still feel inadequate or maybe even empty. The other system takes inadequacies and goes, regardless, failure or success, it's shaping you. It's shaping your identity. Your identity is not wrapped up in whether you fail or succeed. Because I think for all of us, we'd love that. But doesn't it feel like the world tells you you're either being successful or you're failing? You either have these just amazing circumstances that you were born into or you don't. It's very black and white on that, where God's going, no, 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 no. I've defined who you are. These things just give you the ability to shape that identity even more. So, kind of going, okay, so how do we do this? How do we make sure that we keep that joy in the midst of our inadequacy, keep that focus of going, no, God's the one that defines me. I think here's the first step towards it. If we want to overcome, then we have to embrace our inadequacies. We have to be willing to say, I failed. I messed it up. And not try to be defensive or not trying to be, because that's what I would do. I would try to push them away. Because here's the other piece. If you don't embrace them, here's what you're going to do constantly with people and with God. Always keep them at arm's length. He's like, no, 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 I can't let you in yet. I can't let you in yet. No, 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 I've got to fix me. I've got to fix my problems. I'm inadequate. You can't love me yet. And that's what we do. We will push people away until we feel like, okay, I'm adequate enough. Now you can love me. You see where that system breaks down? It will leave you very lonely. That's what I did. I felt like I pushed God away. It was like, God, no, no, no. We cannot address this until I fix myself. Once I fix myself, then we can talk. I wasn't embracing it. I was actually kind of pushing it away. For us to embrace it, we have to let God, we have to let people see us. And I'm like, you're right, I'm not perfect. I fail. Um, 
I'm rejected at times. And I had to be okay. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be a perfect husband. I'm not going to be a perfect father. I'm not going to be a perfect friend. And I know that. But man, I don't always act that way. It always doesn't play out that way. And so to help us embrace our inadequacies, which always sounds like, oh, that sounds like fun. Here's the first thing to do. Pursue Jesus with intentionality. Because like I said, if you're going to be able to embrace your inadequacies, you're going to need to have that relationship with God where he can speak in and goes, hey, you're living a life right now where you're demanding perfection from yourself, and that's never what I asked for. I want you to grow. I want you to get better, but I understand in this moment you did fail. And when you talk about pursuing Jesus intentionally, it's that, like, how are you making time for him? How are you allowing him to speak into your life? Whether that's through, like, hey, I'm going to open my Bible and, and, and read it, or I'm going to pray, or I'm going to go through, go through a hike, or maybe you're a golfer, you play golf, but you do these things by yourself and simply invite God, I give you this time. I want us just to do this together. Because if you don't pursue Jesus, what you're doing is saying, God, I need to fix myself first, then we can talk. And you start doing that to everybody. If you let them in, then it's pretty amazing how you can begin to heal and go, I can still have joy in this. I know for me, looking back at my marriage, there's joy. And looking back at the moments, I was very inadequate. And going, but God showed me how to get better. I look back at moments I failed as a boss or as a leader, and I go, there's joy because God has taught me how to be a better boss, a better leader. Those inadequacies don't define me because Jesus was right there walking with me and beside me and saying, you've got this. Own the mistake, own the failure, and let's begin to walk towards even healthier living. And Paul brought this up. I mean, look what he said. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Does this verse define your life? Is that how you live? To where you go, the moments I have, I want to give them to Jesus. I'm not always perfect at it, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to give him more and more time to speak into my life because I need that. And then the second part is simply this, change your expectations. Because if you're pursuing Jesus, I guarantee you this will begin to happen. You'll, God will just start talking to you and you'll realize, man, I, I have this expectation that I can't fail in life. I have this expectation that I have to be this good to other people or I have to be this or I have to be that. And like, no, 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 change your expectations. Because the ultimate question becomes, what are you defined by? Are you defined by your accomplishments? Are you defined by your circumstances? How much you make? What you do? I mean, in our American culture, you know, it's what we typically ask first question. What do you do? We already start creating this, okay, what do you accomplish me? What are you doing with your life? 
and we put value on that. And so I've been learning to fight this and change my expectations. It's not about this. Now hear me, growth, inadequacies, all those kind of things plays into it, but it's got to shape it, not define it. Because here's why I think this sermon is so important. I go back to that scripture that I mentioned earlier. It says, always be joyful. For us to call ourselves Christians, if you believe in Jesus, you follow him, then we need to be people who are full of joy. Because that's what makes us stand out. That's what makes us contagious. To where people are looking at you and going, oh, hey, how do you have joy in the midst of this? You just failed. How do you have joy in the midst of this? You just got rejected. Your circumstances aren't great. And your answer becomes, because I know who I am. These things don't define me. I'm a child of God, I'm loved by Him. And we'll work through this, I'll get better, I'll learn from the failure, I'll learn from the rejection, I'll learn from my circumstances. And it's all just a slight switch there. And it gives us hope. And it teaches people around us what it's like to truly have a relationship with God. That's why this is powerful. Where I think Jesus knew what he was doing. And the whole time he was here, it was not like he just went through it and was like, oh, everything went perfectly. No, he went through a lot of trials, went through a lot of times of feeling even inadequate. But didn't stop him. Paul gave us another example. And so I hope that this encourages you to begin this journey of going, I want to figure out what joy truly looks like. I don't want to be defined by my inadequacies anymore. So if you would, I'd love to just take a moment right now. Close your eyes, bow your heads, because I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're struggling with. For some of you, it may be even the beginning piece of having that relationship with Jesus, believing that God made you, and then he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven, that you can experience this joy. That's where it starts, and your identity is there. And if you're wanting that, I simply want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. I'm no longer defined by my inadequacies or my failures my rejection. God, I'm defined by the fact that you died for me. You made me, and I am your your child. God, help me to live that out every day. Help me to hold on to that. And God, I give you this. I give you my life. And God, I pray for the rest of us. Maybe we already have that relationship with with God. But God, we struggle sometimes to keep that mindset of keeping joy at the forefront of our minds in the midst of inadequacies. And so, God, help us. May we learn from you. May you guide us. May you lead us. And God, may we be a church, a group of people who can impact the community, who can impact the world simply because we live a life that's full of joy. Help us, Lord. 
to always be joyful in all circumstances. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.